0: be talking about how wake forest took a major step toward earning a bid in the ncaa tournament instead all we're doing today ian is talking about court storming so let's bring in some help with the court storming conversation and all things college basketball dallin cuff espn college basketball analyst kind enough to join us and dallin obviously we have to start with the talk of the day which is this whole court storming controversy coming off of that game against duke what do you make of all of this
1: Ever, I do love that you started with we should be talking about Wake Forest, big win. They're a tournament team that could win a game in the tournament. I digress. We won't talk about that. We will focus on the topic of the day. Um, here's the deal. I love, I've always had a soft spot and enjoyed course storming. I, as a player, That's a, it's an indelible memory left in my college career. There's moments in which fans, programs, administration, those are, they signify huge wins. Like program changing wins. And those are lifelong memories that people have. I have a soft spot that I, I like. It. That said, they're kind of indefensible. Why in the hell are kids, especially now, running on with their hands and their phones, can't see where they're going, sprinting onto a floor while, there's, while the game is just, literally just ended? It doesn't make much sense. It's just part of our game. So here's the deal. It can be done with actual preparation and execution. You saw in the Creighton-Yukon game just about now It's about 12 days ago, or so 10 days ago, where they had we used to have security hand-in-hand hand with the rope, partition things off, players quartered off, and they're gone. Wake Forest had zero plans. John Curry said they did. Sure didn't look like it. It's sad. We used a pruder film for this thing. I don't know what that says about my life, but we broke this thing down from every angle that we had. And when you look at where Wake Forest fans were, the the, the, college, the, the students, excuse me, you got to know where your students are, where the tunnel is, know your own venue. There was no, they're all in the baseline. There was no security there. They came storming on like roaches with the lights on. This came flying, flooding onto the court, like almost before they the, the hit triple zeros. There should have been security lined up there, hand in hand, with the with the rope, and as the Duke players, 10, maybe 12, maybe 15 seconds, get out of the way, then you start to let them in from the opposite side and they come pouring on, they have their moment, everything can work. They did not do that. They did not. They said they prepared. It looked like they didn't at all. It was complete chaos. And because of the Kaitlin Clark incident earlier this year, and now Filipowski, and because football is over, That's and we it. are all talking yep. about this, yep. that leads to changes. And I think ultimately you're going to see a situation where massive fines will be – these fines already exist. They don't exist in the ACC. will be exponentially greater and or it's criminalized to do this, and that'll deter it, which it does in, the, in any professional realm across the planet. That's what I think we're looking at going forward, unfortunately.
2: Dallin, I could not agree with everything you just said more if I tried. And the not, it's not <laughs> – Caitlin Clark's happened on January 21st in the middle of the NFL playoffs, right? I mean, and right mm-hmm. after the national championship. If, if this happened, then it's, a, it's half a segment on, on, on a show, on every show, and then we're moving on. Right. I mean, but because yeah. it's not football season and it's Duke, th- that is why this is such a massive conversation. Now, going back to what you just mentioned as far as there are things that you can implement uh, to maybe deter them. I think it's pretty simple. You, you kind of hinted at it at the end. Students, if you come on the floor, it's like blaming the shark when you go in the ocean, right, and the shark bites you. Hey, partner, you come in contact with a member of the opposing team, a trainer, a coach, or a player, and he hauls off and knocks a snot out of you, guess what? Ain't the damn thing you can do about it because you went in the water and you got bit. What do you think?
1: Well, I will say this. As athletes, you train to, like, not interact with the fans, and I know that, like, that you do run the risk. We've seen incidents. We've seen incidents where injuries have occurred in court stormings to, to what we were talking about. Wasn't Duke. Wasn't, wasn't the greatest women's score in the history of the game. It was at smaller conferences, different venues, different parts of the year. We've seen it the last decade, but we continue to plow ahead. Players, yeah, with every right, you know, to protect themselves. And I think, honestly, and with Zapruder filming it, Filipowski kind of put his arms up to maybe protect himself, maybe initiate contact. Who knows? I'm not here to legislate intent, but I think he's all within his rights to do it. That's part of the reason why you don't want to have this. That's why I think that's probably not going to allow this to continue to happen. It also speaks, sports are a microcosm of society. And when you look at the, how the, how things have broken down, not just left and right and black and white and all these different issues we're going through in our society, people just don't care for one another. Look at the the, the, the vitriol that is spewed on social media every single day. Some of that carries over into real life. So if somebody's running with their phone screaming in my face, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody hauled off and hit them. That, that's another reason why they, they, going forward, these things are going to be stopped, and I do think potentially criminalized or this massive the fines are going to go up exponentially because right now $5,000 for the biggies. ACC doesn't even have fines. That's not deterring anybody.
0: Uh, the lawyer in me is cringing at this conversation. It's just so <laughs> silly to me that they allow sure. any of it from a liability perspective. I just don't get it. Dallin Cuff, ESPN College basketball analyst joining us here on Amber and Ian. All right, Dallin, so let's talk about – What we actually did want to be able to talk about some today, which is the ramifications here of Wake Forest beating Duke. I mean, we are talking about real Mm -hmm. tournament stuff happening. How big was that for their chances?
1: Massive. They they, They only had one quad, one win, and that was from back in November. They beat Florida, who's really good. Florida could be a sneaky, like, deep run in your bracket. Keep an eye on them. But they beat Florida at home, and Florida's continued to improve throughout the year, and they got into a, the top 30. So you're going to hear quad one wins. That basically means a win above the top 15% of college basketball. Duke, Wake, had not had one other than Florida, and then they got that with Duke on their floor. So that was a really big win for them. It helped solidify their resume. They are a tournament team. Here's the problem, guys: as we start to get into this tournament time, and you hear net and you hear quad one and all those us, us analysts talking about these things, we don't have a committee that has a bunch of people you can trust with the eye test. We don't have a lot of basketball people, administrators that have other jobs and then are supposed to t- tune into certain conferences and tell you who's, who's worthy and then go into a room and defend that. It, it's not the best system. So when you look at the numbers, you need to have a resume that's commensurate with how you're playing. And you don't always have that because right now in college basketball, there's such growth and change because so many guys are new to the portal, and particularly Steve Forbes' way Forest team is one of them, where they changed so much from November to March. That team had DeMario Monsanto out injured. They had Efton Reed ineligible. Those guys weren't there in November, December. They're now there, and that team is markedly different. They have to wait. The NCAA has to wait like it used to the last 10 games of the season. If you're playing really well at the end, that's who I want in. I don't want a team that limps in at 3-7, and seven, but they have three good wins from November and the first week of December. Those things can matter, but they can't outweigh what's happening right now. And I think the system overall does not benefit does not, does not benefit those that are playing really well now. Wait for us, the tournament team. No doubt about it. And their resume needed that Duke win. But they were a tournament team whether they got it or not. That helps them, but they're not guaranteed a spot in the tournament yet. But this, that, that's, that's where this, the committee and the current evaluation metrics and then how we weight things in the back end have to change because we're, not, we're at risk of not getting the best teams playing the best in March.
2: Dallin, you also dabble on ESPN Bet and ESPN Bet Live. Uh, give us a, let's, let's take a look ahead to – the tourney following championship week, which will be here before we know it. Right now, UConn is plus 450, meaning, folks, if you bet $100, you get 450 back to win it all. Houston, the new number one team after their remarkable win against Baylor. By the way, I watched every minute of that game. I still can't believe Baylor came back and got that damn thing to overtime. I mean, what an effort by Definitely. the Bears. Uh, Houston's plus 700 right now. Give us a couple of teams that you like with some good odds. I want, we want value to either make the Final Four or win it all.
1: Yeah, I mean, honestly, the best value was you were getting Connecticut about three weeks ago, they were plus 900. But as we've gotten closer, those things have changed. I, the team that I continue to lean on, and not to win at all, but to get to a, a Final Four, and I don't think the ESPN bet has it listed anymore right now, uh, but I wrote an article on ESPN.com back in the preseason. I hate doing that, like taking a shot long-term, because to pick the winner is so hard. But to pick a team that might have really good value and get to the Final Four, I like Illinois. Um, Coleman Hawkins is a five-man that, that stretches a four, knocks down three. Terrence Shannon. Withstanding what it was going on with his legal troubles that he that are not fully over, I'm not speaking to that. I'm speaking to the player on the floor. He's one of the top ten players in the country. If he's eligible to play for Illinois, which he has been the last three or four weeks, they are capable, I think, of putting together a run. They have other talented veterans around them. They guard at a high level. They need to defend consistently, and I think they could get you to a Final Four. You could find that number anywhere from, you know, I think it was 12 to one to 18 to one, depending upon the book you're looking at. Uh, Iowa State remains a team that, because of how they play. They could get you to a, to a Final Four as well. These aren't teams to pick and to win it because I'm looking for a little more value. Iowa State getting to the Final Four. Um, I don't have the latest stuff from ESPN Bet, but I think you're looking at the same thing, 10 to 15 to 1 to get you to, to Phoenix. Those are two teams that I think are, are interesting and particularly Illinois. When you think about winning it all, I still have a soft spot for Marquette. It's not going to go away. They're 25 to 1. They got a, elite guard in Tyler Colex. They've got a, a, a big man in Osuogadaro that is a huge matchup problem. Uh, he's, he's going to be a pro, and a bunch of guards around him and playmakers around him that can, that, that can just go hoop. And, and a Smart, they embody his toughness and his physical and mental toughness, I should say. So if you want to take a flyer on a team to win at all, I, I would look at them. But UConn is the most complete team. UConn is the best team in the country, and I would not be surprised at all if they repeat for the first time since 06 or 07.
2: Boy, you're going to be really, really, really angry right now because on ESPN bet to make the Final Four, the Illini only plus 650.
1: And Whoa! Why, well, I'm not, only, why I'm not mad? Because I have a ticket that says twenty-four to one from. <laughs> you're, you're
2: thrilled. Well, it. Never mind. <laughs> Iowa, Iowa State's all the
1: way down to plus four
2: hundred to make the final four. Oh, so, those are two teams that obviously a lot of people have pounced on. I love your Marquette pick, though. Well, I mean, I'm here for you. I mean, I'm, I'm looking
1: around trying to give you guys some more value. I love it. I, I, I would say, yeah, I, that's all I got for you right now. I got to look at the latest numbers, but uh, yeah, back in October and November, whenever I wrote that piece, felt great. I, I right,
0: Ian, always wants, Ian always wants the betting advice, Dallin, but just from a regular well, sure. analysis, as he <laughs> should, of course, uh, for those of us who don't enjoy making money uh, like me, what's the, top t- or the team outside of the top 10 that we're not talking about enough? Not from a, a betting perspective, obviously, but just from a college basketball perspective.
1: I touched on him earlier in the, in the, in the hit here. I think Florida is really interesting. I, I, Todd Golden is an outstanding coach. Uh got to know Todd from years ago when he was, he was Kyle Smith's assistant, uh, unpaid assistant at the time too, uh, back in Columbia. Kyle Smith now I think up, should be up for national coach of the year, at Washington state beat Arizona this past weekend, fell at Arizona state on the road, but Wazoo, I think it's going to be in the tournament. A team that could, they could win a game in the tournament, but Florida has gotten really better through the course of the year. Todd is a, an analytics guy. It is threes. It's layups. It's free throws. They play fast. They've got really good guard play in Zion Pullen, Walter Clayton Jr. Riley Google, when he's playing within himself, is great. Their bigs have gotten so much better. They've got a lot of length. they got a m- couple different footers that can move and guard um, and score in the interior. Tyrese Samuels really playing at a higher level. So I, I think Florida's a team, and, and going to the SEC, like they've, they've had some very good wins at home and on the road in the SEC, and they continue to improve. Uh, that's a Florida team that I think could be dangerous to, to make a run in there. You, you want to take a look at that. Whatever their number is to get to the Final Four would be intriguing. Matchups are critical, and I wonder what they're going to be seeded, but they are a very, very high-level team.
0: They're ranked uh, 24th in the nation right now. That's the exact answer I wanted from you, Dallin, as a Florida Gator <laughs> myself. Uh, that is the exact Because <laughs> I heard the I mean, nugget you dropped crowd, a few baby, minutes ago. the crowd. Yep. Uh, smart man. Smart Those man. Dallin around. Cuff. ESPN college basketball analyst, Dallin, thanks so much.
1: Anytime, guys. Be well.
0: Making me happy. That's all I ask. Making me happy. Coming up next here on Amber and Ian. The Bengals played a game of tag on Monday. We'll discuss it. That's next here on ESPN Radio. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit style pizza. Why? It's simple. Well, we've been talking a lot about college basketball all show long, particularly about court storming. If you missed any of that, check out the podcast on the ESPN app. But we've also been talking about the tags and the no tags, Ian, because we got some big news when it comes to franchise tags in the NFL. Let's start on the tag side. The Bengals, they played tag year it. They tagged t higgins not a big surprise frankly a lot of people thought that higgins was going to get hit with the tag they're also negotiating with jamar chase here's the point they've got to keep joe burrow's weapons around him some people are theorizing could they now trade away higgins now that they tagged him i don't anticipate that happening i think they tag higgins they pay him 21.8 this season which is the tag fee there for a wide receiver in 2024 you give Higgins an opportunity to come into the season healthy, obviously a very battled team, battered team last season with injuries, including to T. Higgins. So he comes in this season, he's healthy. You can always negotiate a contract extension after that, but I think the Bengals try to stay at full strength now that hopefully they're at full health.
2: Yeah, and I, I, to, to your point, and I, I'm with you, I, I don't think he's going anywhere. I mean, when, when the head coach, Zach Taylor, issues a statement today going, he's, he's thrilled that T. Higgins is still going to be a part of this offense going forward. Um, you know, Joe Burrow's at the Laker game with Jamar Chase. Jamar's going to get a long-term contract. We all know that. But mm-hmm. this offense, when T. Higgins is healthy and Burrow is healthy, and that's the problem, right? If both those guys got hurt last year, um, obviously Burrow season ending, T. Higgins banged up for a lot of the year. But when he's healthy, that's a remarkable one-two punch. And, he, I mean, and Burrow was asked about it. In fact, even you know before the news became official today, you know he, he was talking about how he's excited to have T. Higgins and Jamar both back again next year. So, when the head coach is, is issuing a statement, the star quarterback's telling you how happy he is uh, that Higgins is going to be back. He ain't going anywhere, Amber. He's going to get that $21 million and, and also a, hey, I'm going to show you I can stay healthy and prove it type year to any other team out there, not just Cincinnati, because when he's healthy, he's a heck of a wideout.
0: Absolutely. and. This team could be a heck of a team, frankly. I feel like the Bengals, we've forgotten about them a little bit because of what happened this past season, because everybody was injured this past season on that Cincinnati team. I think it'll be a very, very Brownie Browning had him season. in the hunt.
2: I mean, Jake Browning yeah. had him in the hunt in week 15. I mean, mm-hmm. They're still alive. It's crazy.
0: Right. Exactly. So imagine what it would look like if Joe Burrow had been healthy and T. Higgins as well. So now we'll hopefully get to see that pairing moving forward next season. They do have until July 15th to sign him to a long-term extension. I don't know if that's going to get done, but either way, I think he's going to be a Cincinnati Bengal next season, whether it's under that 21.8, uh, which is the tag, or whether it's under an extension. There were some guys, though, that we learned are not going to get hit with the franchise tag, In, namely running back. So Josh Jacobs will not be franchise tagged. Saquon Barkley will not be franchise tagged. Tony Pollard will not be franchise-tagged. We also know Derek Henry is not going to be franchise-tagged as well. Lots of running backs who could be potentially on the move here in free agency.
2: Yeah, those are the big names. And then you have the other guys like Devin Singletary, who was a near-thousand-yard rusher for the Houston Texans. Uh, you know, he is also going to be a free agent. The Ravens, two injured running backs, and J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards, both those guys are going to be free agents. But the big ones you mentioned – uh, and Derrick Henry still has some tread on those tires, which is remarkable. I mean, you know, I, I'm one of those guys, my hand is up, where I'm watching the Titans and, and this year and I'm going, man, how much does Derrick Henry really have left? But when you go back and, and really watch, he still has tread on those tires. He went for nearly yep. 1,200 yards. He wasn't averaging over five yards a carry this year. It was it was low fours, but still scored 12 touchdowns. He had a long, what, like 70 yards this year, or right around there. So, you know, Derek still has. You know, I would, I would be if I'm the Dallas Cowboys, I'm looking at him on a two year type contract, nothing longer than that, because when a running back hits that running back clip, and Derek Henry is one of the rare ones where he has gone and still playing at a remarkably high level past year four. I've said for years, and I'll and I'll stand by it. And it's cold. I mean, it, and it's it's harsh, but if I'm an NFL GM, after that fourth year with a running back. I'm getting rid of him, and I'm going to draft another one, and I'm going to recycle every four years. I'm I'm not going to be the guy to overpay an NFL running back after year four. The average lifespan is under three years for an NFL running back. So, But I think Henry is one of those rare exceptions. If I'm Will McClay, the director of football ops, the Dallas Cowboys, and Stephen Jones, I'm signing Derrick Henry to a, probably a two-year deal. And then look at the draft. I mean, Blake Corum out of Michigan – because he's coming off that ACL the previous year, he lost he, he lost a little bit of a burst last season. He's going to go in like the third or fourth round. I mean, that's remarkable value for a dude who, it's, as you know, it's the year after the year from ACL, right? That mm-hmm. you know that, that you, you really bounce back. And he got guys like Bucky Irving, Jonathan Brooks. I mean, Mar, you know, Marshawn Lloyd at a USC. All these dudes going to be available later on day two. So, there's remarkable value in this draft for running backs. So, a lot of these a lot of these guys that, that didn't get tagged, I don't think they're getting long-term deals, Amber. One, because <laughs> when you hit that running back cliff, it hits you in a hurry, and it's like the size of the Grand Canyon. And there's value in this draft, especially starting day two.
0: Yeah, I think value is the name of the game when we talk about the running back position, because it's not as if Derrick Henry isn't Derrick Henry. Sure, is he? the height of Derrick Henry anymore no probably not but he's still a very viable back or Saquon Barkley you can have that same conversation about Josh Jacobs you can certainly have that conversation about it's not that these guys have no worth it's just the comparison when you're talking about things like extensions and money to somebody coming in on a rookie deal and so that's the game that ends up happening in a salary cap sport these guys are going to end up somewhere I tend to agree with you I actually see a lot of value in these big names but also on shorter deals i never really understand i mean obviously the backs are going to want five-year contracts but if i'm a team if i'm the cowboys bring in d henry it it work out a two-year deal with him you know figure it out that way shorter deals even if you had to pay a little bit more to have that flexibility on the shorter end there's ways to structure this thing but i do expect the domino effect here with these running backs lots of big names in the free agent market they're gonna end up somewhere coming up next Who, an NBA mock draft, got LeBron James riled up on Monday? That's next here on ESPN Radio. Must be 21-plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. If we don't play big deal, not a big deal, Ian, the people are going to be walking around America, and they're going to be thinking to themselves, well, I don't know, what's a big deal? I mean, I don't know. Amber and Ian didn't tell me. Is this a big deal? Is this not a big deal? So we got to tell the people. Let's get to it.
2: It's making headlines.
1: Extra, extra,
2: read all about it. But is it a big deal or not a big deal? With Amber and Ian.
0: And Tara filling in for James tonight. Hello, Tara. Hello. Or do
2: I just
3: start me. now?
0: Yeah, you, you just proceed you really now. But <laughs>
2: I feel, I Normally like you take a shot at, at me from our days. This,
3: on- I always get this part wrong. I feel like either you say hello and I don't say anything or that I say hello and I don't just go into the story. It's, I'm not good at this part.
2: Tara, it's the same as one thought back in the Freddie and Fitzsimmons days. How's always that at
3: 11 o'clock.
2: Uh, right, there you go. Bam. Done. So there you have it. Same way.
3: In a pair of (laughs) since-deleted messages posted Monday afternoon to his ex-social media account, L.A. Lakers icon LeBron James forcefully defended his son Bronny James against projections about his son's future in the NBA through mock drafts. Quote, Can y'all please just let the kid be a kid and enjoy college basketball? The work and results will ultimately do the talking no matter what he decides to do. If y'all don't know, he doesn't care what a mock draft says. He just works. Earn, not given. And to all the other kids out there striving to be great, just keep your head down, blinders on, and keep grinding. These mock drafts don't matter one bit. I promise you, only the work matters. Let's talk real basketball people, unquote. Once again, that was LeBron James in since-deleted messages on X on Monday. (laughs) The messages came in response to one that's, to one that said ESPN had removed his son Bronny from its 2024 mock draft and was instead projecting him to be selected in the 2025 draft. Big deal or not a big deal?
0: Ian, take it away.
2: Not a big deal uh, because he, he, he'd come back for another year if he wants or two years. You know, like Austin Rivers, who joined us earlier, who played for a long time in the NBA, former Duke Blue Devil, you know, so eloquently put it. So – LeBron also, the big deal part is LeBron has to understand that he's he was part of this buildup of Bronny, talking about. Oh, yes. And, Amber, yes. Amber you know, I'll let you take the floor on this one. What was he saying uh, as far as how he wants to end his career?
0: Mm-hmm. Playing with Bronny. Hey,
2: that's a big deal.
0: He's the one who put this pressure, frankly, on his son or put us on his son. And I think it was good in the sense that, he's certainly trying to raise the star of his son, and that's great, right? Some other team may end up drafting him because they want a plan, a future that looks like LeBron James and Bronny James together on the same team. So if you think LeBron might come to your team, if you draft Bronny, then maybe you take Bronny a little bit higher than you otherwise would. I think he's helping Bronny's draft stock. The problem with helping, helping Bronny's draft stock in that scenario is now we're all very focused on what Bronny's going to do because we're looking at LeBron's age. We know that he's going to be 40 years old, and we're looking at Bronny, and – Is he a one-and-done? Is he going to be in school for years, plural? Then what does that do to LeBron? Now we're talking about a player in his 40s, and that's where this conversation starts, frankly, and that whole thing stems back to LeBron putting it into the universe that he wants to play with his son. Not to mention that LeBron, and our colleague Jonathan Zaslow had tweeted this out, and I had forgotten about this, that LeBron, in front of cameras and microphones, earlier in the season, said Bronny could easily start for the Lakers right now. He continued to build up his son then when his son is not, which is fine, right, like every dad would do it, but if you 're doing it so publicly and then you 're mad when he's not on a mock draft, then you kind of want to pull the whole blame the media card it feels like that lebron 's always doing like all oh, these mock drafts don 't mean anything, and ignore that, like as if we're doing something bad to these guys for having mock drafts about where they 're going to be drafted. I think the whole thing is emotional as it should be. For a father to a son, the problem is that the father happens to be one of the most famous athletes in the entire world. And so because of that, his voice is very, very loud. And I always just wonder how Bronny feels throughout all of this. Cause man, I can't imagine the pressure of LeBron James. It's gotta be so cool to have LeBron James as your dad, but also of course, if you're in that sport, it's gotta be a bit difficult to live up to that, the bar that your dad set, cause you know, one of the greatest <laughs> to ever do it. So that's a high bar. And so the pressure that's already on Bronny, the microscope that's already on him anyways, and then if your dad's going out and tweeting things, I might be like, yo, dad, just stop, man, just stop. Just let it slide. Nobody even noticed the mock draft until you got on X with your gajillions of followers and pointed it out to the world. Tara?
3: Sticking with the Lakers and LeBron, they were not happy with the free throw disparity in their 123-113 to loss to the Suns on Sunday. Phoenix shot 19 free throws as compared to just eight for the Lakers, representing a season low for the Lakers and tying the fewest such attempts in any game for the team since LeBron James joined the franchise. Big deal or not a
0: big deal? Ian?
2: Just stop whining. Are (laughs) you kidding me? (laughs) I mean, for a franchise going back 40 years that got more calls than they didn't. And you're going to whine about a free throw disparity of 19 to eight. It's not like Phoenix shot 30. It was 19 I to eight. Know. It's not that big of a difference. Be quiet.
0: That's what I thought too. I'm like, all right. I mean, it wasn't like that insane not a big of deal. a disparity there. Uh, yeah, this is not a big deal. The Lakers need to worry less about officiating and more about defense. The Los Angeles Lakers aren't that good. I mean, that's the, the league, better. That's the league <laughs> that's, that needs to worry about defense. <laughs> right. Well, that's true as well. But the Lakers' problem, frankly, ain't officiating this season. So them whining about officiating at all, they've just got so, such bigger fish to fry.
3: Former Washington Commanders and Kansas City Chiefs Offensive co- Coordinator Eric Bieniemy is finalizing a two-year deal to join UCLA staff as the Bruins' associate head coach slash offensive coordinator, sources told ESPN over the weekend. It marks a homecoming for Bieniemy, who grew up in the area and was a Bruins assistant from 2003 to 2005. Big deal or not a big deal?
2: Yeah, it's a big deal because... He interviewed for head coaching jobs for a lot of years uh, after winning multiple Super Bowl titles uh, with the Kansas City Chiefs as their OC. He goes and seeks life elsewhere in Washington. It doesn't work out there. When when the head coach gets fired, everyone gets fired mafia style. And now you're wondering, uh, was it the right move to to seek life elsewhere and leaving Kansas City who just went and got another chip and, and put another trophy in, in the in cabinet and another ring on fingers. So he now he's leaving the NF when most college coaches, Amber, are leaving college that are coordinators to go take position jobs in the NFL because of that the, the the sick hard world that is NIL and the portal, the enemy is having to leave the NFL and go back to college. That's that
0: hurts. What's weird about this, is, though, is that he, he's not having to, right? I mean, he did say that he's had tons of interviews in the NFL. He even said that he got offered by a team, an assistant head coaching and running backs coach job by a team in the NFL. So he had offers. He had a lot of interviews. And he chose this job with UCLA. Now, what I didn't really factor in before with Eric Enemy is that that's where he went to high school. He's from Southern California, right? He's from that area. He started his career with the Chargers. Obviously, he was with UCLA before, so this was truly home to Eric Enemy. It's a nice then spot for him to go back to, for him to go back in that Ooh. situation, but I'm very concerned about what just Ian just said. I mean, it's very different from the NFL game, which may be a good thing, by the way. It's not as if everybody hates coaching in college football. What we found is the old heads hate coaching in college football because things have changed so much. So that's why the Nick Sabans of the world are going to end up retiring under this new system. But it doesn't mean that everybody is going to hate coaching in college football. It'll be interesting to see how Eric Bieniemy fares at that level because it is so dramatically different right now than the NFL.
3: Longtime pro football columnist Peter King announced his retirement from full-time writing on Monday in his weekly Football Morning in America column for NBC Sports. He also gave us one last fun nugget when he speculated that signs are pointing towards the Bears keeping Justin Fields and trading the first overall pick because of the plethora of other picks they could receive in return. Big deal or not a big deal?
2: Uh, It's a big deal because he is a legend. You know, whenever whenever you ran into him, and I was covering the Dallas Cowboys with Randy Galloway, and and, and Randy's the reason I got got to meet Peter King. Uh, Randy Galloway, for people who don't know, legendary sports columnist, Dallas Morning News, Fulbright Star, Telegram, longtime radio host, and, you know, he's a Texas Sports Hall of Famer, and he knows everybody. And and Peter is one of those guys. And once you met Peter, he treated you like you were family. I mean, it, it, one of the nicest, most giving guys I have ever met. And that man could put some words together. Uh, his intel, his sources. Monday morning quarterback was a must-read every single Monday, you know, when you're coming up in his business. Uh, and then, obviously, you know, his latest one with NBC. So he's one of the best to ever do it. And as he, as he wrote in that column, he's excited to be able to sit there on his couch and watch an NFL Sunday an entire NFL Sunday, and a little thing called the Super Bowl and react to the commercials like everybody else, something he's never been able to do.
0: 44 years Woo. he spent doing it, an unbelievable career to me. And I'm not fancy like Ian, so I never got an opportunity to meet Peter King, but to me, Peter King is the most famous sports writer of my lifetime. That's how I think of Peter King. Uh, Just an unbelievable career, an absolute legend, and here he is retiring. And and his article on the way out, hell of an article, especially the part where he talks about the Miami Dolphins uh, because he did go ahead (laughs) and give my team big ups on the way out, which obviously, you know, I agree with. But everything else was written so beautifully as well, as Peter King always does. It is worth reading the entire thing, of course as is all of Peter King's work. But a true legend, I'm sure we're going to end up seeing him around, hearing him around. I doubt that he's just going to completely hang it up. It'll be nice for him to hang it up on his terms and and do what he wants and, and maybe spend a little more time with the wife after this. Coming up next here on Amber and Ian, why a former NFL MVP is in the headlines over a youth football tournament. We'll get into that next here on ESPN Radio. Video surfaced on Sunday that appears to show 2015 NFL MVP Cam Newton involved in a scuffle at a seven-on-seven youth football tournament in Atlanta, Ian. And maybe the most amazing part of it is that it appears Cam Newton gets jumped, basically. Cam Newton somehow manages Defend off all of these dudes without hitting any of them. I, I don't. It's like remarkable when Three you up. watch the video. He's shoving them, pushing them, throwing them, kind of, but not actually inflicting harm on them. It is, it is something. And then somehow, also his hat, that is like the Wicked Witch of the West. I don't know how. Yeah, else one, to describe one of his custom
2: made. Imagine him at a post game press conference type hats. There you go.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Doesn't move. I mean, not a centimeter. It does not move the entire time he's in this scuffle, which whoever made that hat for him, they definitely need to be using this video to advertise uh, their product moving forward.
2: All right, so by all accounts, this is a great seven-on-seven deal that yeah, Cam Newton puts on in Atlanta. Uh, mm-hmm. and, 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 and watching that bit, one, I, one, let me go back a minute. When I read the headline, I'm like, Cam Newton got in a fight at a damn youth tournament? Are you kidding me? Because the headline was remarkably misleading. I mean, because Cam Newton did nothing wrong. Zero. Nada. These threw – two of them were coaches, and and this other guy realized at one point when Cam was trying to defuse the situation, then Cam kind of bowed up like, all right, boys – if you, you don't want to do this, because Cam Newton, I don't know, if you've ever never stood next to this man. He's huge. He's 6'6", six, six, fitty, and still has yeah. muscles in his toenails. I mean, Real. the man is still ripped. This one guy decides, you know what? He had that moment of clarity where this is not a good idea to be going, even with these two other morons, to be going at Cam Newton right now. It's one of those moments where you finally say, you know what? How did I get myself into this? And what am I going to do to get out of it? He left. He basically like is The back record, to the hell record off.
0: stops. You know, you hear the it's screech. Like if, if
2: you've ever seen you the, look at the camera, movie, Animal House, it's yeah. when they walked into the Dexter Lake Club and screamed, Otis, my man, right? I mean, in the entire place, the music stopped, all heads turned around. That's exactly what happened in this dude's brain. And we've all been in those situations. We've all had a moment where you go, how did I get myself into this? I mean, I've had too many of them to count. I mean, I go back to my childhood when there was nobody around and I had to go feed the horses in in the front field and then go, hay the cattle. But you know what? It was a moment. No one was in the house. And you have a moment where you go, you know what? I, I can do this. I can go sneak an ice cream sandwich and get away with it. And then halfway through it, when your mom busts you and she's on horseback with a riding crop, you're going, how did I get myself into this situation? Oh, yeah, <laughs> I was really stupid. Story. I was really dumb. Or I can go fast forward to my first freshman year at Alabama. We're at Tennessee. We stink. I mean, we we just lost to Louisville, of all people, right? And we go beat Tennessee, and as a young boy full of – absolute vigor and spit and everything else, guess what? I'm talking trash to a bunch of Tennessee fans, and I got my ass whipped. And that was one of those moments you're going, how did I get myself into this? Kind of like that guy going up against Cam Newton. I can do this all day. I've had, I've had in every You've phase had of my life. you had way more of
0: those moments than me. I don't – a-
2: I mean, maybe I it's been many many of those stinky moments. boy. Who knows? I don't know. No, elegant woman. I, maybe that's the difference. I but think I'm it's a guy you.
0: thing. The only the only thing that I can think of because this it's it is like it's like a movie where I could see in that moment if this if these people were in a movie who were jumping Cam Newton like at that moment the camera would would stop the guy would like look at it. You're probably wondering how I got here. You know, it's that's like exactly the right. action would. That's exactly what would happen. I'm getting my uh,
2: brains kicked in at Tennessee. You know what? I'm sitting here laying down on. The, on the con, in the concourse, like in a fetal position, going, God, you are such an idiot. For, how did you get? Oh, yeah, I remember how you got yourself into this. You were, you were a moron. That was that guy who was the only smart one who went, you know what? This probably isn't the smartest thing right now to be going up against this man who's 6'6", 250, with muscles in his earlobes.
0: See, I don't, I've never been in a fight, right? So I've never been in that situation, but I've been in situations where I thought I was going to get into a fight. And the closest one I can remember was I was at a nightclub uh, when I was much younger, uh, back in my clubbing days. And we were at a nightclub and I was with one of my best girlfriends and she had a lot of liquid courage and her move was to start, to, you know, snapping, whatever. She got into it with some other girl. And they're like, she's like yelling at the girl. And then so she Seinfeld jumps behind moment. me. catfight. So like my friend starts it and then jumps behind me because my friend's a lot shorter than me and smaller than me. And like, it, it wasn't going to happen for her. So she literally started it and then jumped behind me. So then the girl and her friends were just like coming at me. <laughs> like... Wait, what? Because I didn't even start this thing, so now I'm just having to get in, involved, and fun. I'm having to yell at them, and they're. So and I'm like, I, what it? did I even do? Like, why? Why am I in this? Situ- I don't know. They never actually ended up fighting. I guess I was intimidating enough. They never actually went for it, so I got <laughs> I out of the situation. The other one, <laughs> the other one was in high school. A very similar situation in high school. This was like, oh man, this is so. Old. This is such an old story because this is the like dawn of the internet. So in high school on AIM somehow one of my high school friends got into it with like some other girls I don't know whatever in high school right with this like instant messaging right so this was before Facebook kids and before social media existed and so somehow my friend angered the uh, like this huge group of girls that were all athletes at my school and so and I ended up Coming to her defense on again AIM on this instant messaging platform American Institute on the internet of machinery. so yeah, so we like this is the <laughs> dawn of all things of like hiding behind a keyboard and so the next party the next kegger that we went that we went to don't drink kids uh but you know the next keg party that we went to in high school and I we're all at this keg party and then I, I walked to my car to get something out which was like these we used to drop kegs out you know in pastures out in the middle of nowhere and so I have to walk like half a mile down the road or whatever it was to to my car to get something out of it and this whole group of girls like comes up and there was like seven of them and I was all alone they waited until I walked away from the party by myself and I had that moment that, said, oh, how did, how I, did I, get I get here? Right? Yeah. How did I that, get myself
2: into this? How
0: did I get myself into this? I'm about to get jumped, that and is I'm that, alone.
2: That is that guy who finally wised up and went, we are about to go blow for blow with Cam Newton. This is yep. not a good look. And the headline, man, was awful. I mean, horrendous. Cam Newton uh, in near fight at 7-on-7 seven seven tournament. What? Cam, again, if you are just tuning in, Cam Newton did nothing wrong. It was these two coaches and one of their buddies that came at CAM. Finally, a police officer, you know, separated everything. But that one dude, that one guy was like, you know what? I'm going to back away a little bit because this is not the smartest move I've ever made. So, those three Mensa members, one of them wised up. The other two, I wish he'd have knocked the snot out of you, man, because they started it.
0: And apparently, they came after Cam about yep. his throwing ability. Apparently, it all, reportedly, it all started because of one of them was talking bleep about his accuracy or something. Cam Newton was an NFL MVP. To Cam Super Newton was a Heisman Trophy winner. Cam <laughs> Newton went to a Super Bowl. What the hell have you done? Seven on seven opposing coach? Like, what are we talking about? Youth football coach. Uh, How dare you? I give Cam Newton a (laughs) lot of credit for somehow fending off those guys without actually throwing punches. That was wild.